Good afternoon. Welcome into the Howell Stern Wednesday afternoon sports show here at Radio AM 1190. Buffs picked up a big win last Saturday, 28-21 over the Arizona State Sun Devils. They're currently 5-0. They're currently riding the hot hand led by Heisman Trophy candidate LaVisca Chenault. Later on, on the, in the show, we'll be joined by former Buff Kevin DeMent. Forever Buff. Forever Buff. Thank you for the correction, Chase. Kevin DeMent, who graduated from CU last year. We'll get a little bit of a life update from him, and we'll get his thoughts, of course, on this year's team. Later on, we'll talk some Broncos. They had an embarrassing loss last weekend, 34-16. Could have been worse if Cortland Sutton didn't do his best DBB impression in taking down Marcus May when he returned uh, an interception 101 yards last weekend that would have made the score even worse than it looked. Then we'll get a little bit into the Denver Nuggets and talk about another forever buff in Derek White, who currently earned a starting spot with the San Antonio Spurs. That's big news. And last, but certainly certainly not least, we'll put a bow, at least we'll attempt to, on the Colorado Rockies season, talk about how they finished up. Obviously wasn't satisfying for a lot of fans, but the future, I, I, think, it looks, I think it looks bright for We them. can call them least for now because we got Avs, Nuggets, Broncos, Buffs to worry about, so we'll, we'll consider them least. Yeah, but as it stands right now, let's mm-hmm. start off with those Buffs. They're currently one of 11 undefeated teams in the country. They're ranked 19th. They're coming off a big win in a tight game. The, every, everything's clicking for this team right now. Yeah, it was an impressive victory on Saturday. There's no doubt about it, especially especially the offensive line. That That's what I was most impressed with. Uh, Montez alluded to it after the game, yeah. but they carried them through that fourth quarter. They really did. They just pounded the ball the last two, three drives that they had, and they ran it with efficiency, and it worked every single time. And credit to Trayvon McMillan, too, but that was mostly just their offensive line carrying them to victory. What impresses me the most about their offense is their ability to be multidimensional. They rank fourth in the nation, or fourth in the Pac-12, rather, in receiving yards, yet they have one of the better running backs, not just in their conference, but in the country, in Trayvon McMillan. And that really allows them to juice the clock and milk it away at the end of games, which is huge when you, when you look at all things considered. If you get a lead in the fourth quarter and you have that running game and that much of a bell cow who can really just completely tire out the defense, that's, that's huge. Especially when you've already worn down that team for three and a half quarters. They're already tired. This offense has been going fast that entire game, so now you slow things down late in the fourth quarter and you just, you just pound the rock and they can't stop it. Yeah, it makes it really, really hard to defend when your offense is as multidimensional as they've been so far. Yeah, Trayvon McMillan had 130 yards, 36 yards, excuse me, on 30 carries on Saturday. I, I hate to say it, but I don't really feel like Philip Lindsay is completely missed right now. McMillan has done an exceptional job, not just filling that void, but playing the role that he was brought in to play. Yeah, and I think Kyle Evans has been a nice change of pace to McMillan, which they really didn't have much last year. It was just Phillip, 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 which there wasn't any problem with it last year, but it's been nice that they haven't had to rely on just one guy. They've been able to have Kyle Evans come in and spell McMillan when needed. I think the one spot that they have missed Phil a little bit is uh, catching the ball out of the backfield. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like they trust their guys there 
or whatever it is because they're not running many plays to the running backs. It's yeah. not really that they've been underperforming in that area. They just don't run many plays to the running backs. They're usually in there to pass protect on throwing plays. So last year they trusted Phil a lot catching the ball out of the backfield. We haven't really seen that at all. Yeah, I do want to comment on that, but with the number of pass catchers that the Buffs had, not just Chenault, but Tony Brown, KD Nixon, I don't really feel like they're missing that aspect of it. And keep in mind that they're running a lot of jet sweeps, a lot of plays that are so similar to catching the ball out of the backfield that I don't really feel that that's a huge void in this offense right now. Yeah, this offense is going at such a high pace, and pretty much everything is going right. So it's hard to critique, but that that would be the one place that I would critique if I had to pick something now staying on the offensive side of the ball then we'll get on the defensive side a little bit before we're joined by forever buff Kevin DeMatten who he'll he'll get into the offense but let's stick on the offense for for one more second in a poll released earlier today LaVisca Chenault was in third place for the Heisman for Heisman Trophy voting I know it's been a while since a wide receivers run it won it excuse me and I know it's hard to win it at that position, period. It's, you know, you have all these running backs who are putting up flashy numbers, scoring a lot of touchdowns. These quarterbacks who are throwing for what seems like half a million yards with a guy like Tui Tagovailoa and Alabama. But I think LaVisca stands a pretty darn good chance right now with the number he's putting up and the impact he's made in his offense and at the nation national level as well. Yeah, absolutely. The numbers that Visca has put up, He's deservedly towards the top of that Heisman list. We haven't seen the other guys. Um, well, the other guys haven't really played anybody besides Dwayne Haskins playing Penn State. Yeah. But he didn't even look that great in that game. We haven't seen the other guys, I guess, drop a stinker in any of their games. We haven't seen Tua face adversity at all. No, not at all. Obviously, Visca hasn't faced adversity. Kyler Murray lost this past week and didn't look very good. So that one, I, I was a little bit surprised to see him towards the top. But... Um, it'll be interesting once these guys, guys start playing tougher games how the quarterbacks are able to perform because it's a little bit easier for Visco whether CU is winning or not. He's still probably going to get the catches where, yeah. as these guys have to carry their team. So Yeah, so at this point you think that he is the most stra- out of all the candidates, he is the most straight-line path to potentially winning it because these guys can struggle, but he's always going to be the centerpiece of the offense no matter what happens. Yeah, yeah, that's my point, but I I mean, as I'm thinking about it, I I do think Tua probably is the is the obvious favorite and clear favorite right now. We'll see if he plays a game where he just doesn't look like himself, but so far he he looks unbelievable. Yeah, I I think it's a little bit unfair in the sense that he's consistently competing against inferior competition a and b he's only playing like a half a game whereas lavisca is sustaining his performance over the course of four quarters so i think he should have the advantage in that sense but flipping things over to the defensive side of the ball i know this team has been carried by their offense seemingly all season long but the defense held arizona state to nothing over their final five uh, drives of the game. The big play coming from Nick Fisher on a 72-yard catch and run to Frank Darby. Excellent hustle play by him. He runs, he chases him down, tackles him at the two-yard line, and then the Buffs come up with a huge goal line stand where they don't let ASU get into the end zone. After the game, Mike McIntyre called, called that the momentum shifter. And let's not forget about the other big part, big thing that happened in the game that could have 
with the Buffs. Nate Landman, leading tackler, centerpiece, and best player on their defense, gets ejected for targeting. Controversial call, by the way. Could have gone either way. I talked to a couple people who agreed with it, but from a lot of us in the press box, that looked like just a good hustle play by Landman. And at that point, the Buffs' defense could have just struggled the rest of the way, but Drew Lewis did a great job moving from outside linebacker where he's played back to inside linebacker where he played last season. Carson Wells did an excellent job filling out, uh, doing, doing, uh, playing on the outside linebacker position. I think that was the biggest test that this defense has faced all season long in terms of how they would overcome adversity. And I think they definitely passed with flying colors. Yeah, I've been really, really impressed with DJ Elliott and the way that he's been able to make second half adjustments. This defense has looked like a different team in the second half ever in pretty much every game that they have had to. Obviously not against um, New Hampshire because they didn't have to, but against Nebraska, against UCLA, against Arizona State, they just look like a much better team defensively, and they seem to fill all the holes. They really, really slowed down you know, Benjamin in the second half. Yeah. The passing game was virtually non-existent in the second half for the Arizona State Sun Devils, so they just made really good adjustments and slowed that team down. And look, Benjamin is a very difficult guy to stop. He's one of the leading rushers in the nation. He's played, he played very well in the first rest, but I think that this defense is pretty much led by the guys up front right now, like Mustafa Johnson and, you know, the, the people up front. But yeah. anyway, we will be joined now by Forever Buff, Kevin Demet. What's up? What's How up, Kevin? How you doing? You're live on the Howell Stern Show. Awesome. Good to be here. How you doing today? I am doing well. Um, no, just living life another day. Just living life outside of the normal football schedule that you faced the last two years, huh? Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely different, but um, definitely miss it a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's nice to not be up at 5 a.m. also working out. So <laughs> it's kind of best of both worlds. I feel that. So let me ask you, a lot of our listeners want to know, what are you up to nowadays career-wise and, you know, otherwise as well? Yeah, so I am uh, working full-time um, downtown Denver. Um, I grew up in, like, the Centennial area, so I'm living down there and working downtown at a place called Home Advisor. Um, yeah, doing some sales stuff to start out, so it's pretty cool. And what do, what do you miss? You said you, you, you didn't miss waking up at 5 a.m., which I understand, but what do you miss the most about the grind of playing college football here at CU? I think just... Uh, you know, being around the brotherhood, being with the guys all the time, um, having stuff to do, you know, with workouts. I mean, I actually, in, you know, enjoyed workouts and then obviously, you know, game day and watching uh, people I practiced with and uh, became good friends with go to battle each day. So I kind of just miss uh, kind of the whole thing, to be honest. So let's go ahead and get into football a little bit here. Um, your coach, Coach Cheverini, while you were here, he got... Uh, promoted to play caller in the offseason. So what were your first initial thoughts when that happened? Like, what were your first expectations? I thought it'd be great just because, like, the energy he brings. I knew he'd be, like, super aggressive, and I knew he, like, wanted that role forever. You know, I mean, uh, last year he kind of shared that role, um, but I knew he wanted to, you know, do it himself. Um, he wanted to be able to control the offense completely, and I just knew it was going to be an exciting year as soon as he – I uh, found out he got that role. 
so what's impressed you so much about the offense so far? Um, I guess, like, the resiliency. Um, you know, even when they're not scoring, um, next drive they're going to. Um, and then just, I mean, Visca, Visca's been amazing. Um, kind of knew he was going to do well. But then not only him, but just, you know, anyone that fills in, you know, Tony Brown, KDJ, um, all of them, you know, um, not all of them really had that much experience besides Jay coming in this year. So just, uh, you know, people fitting in right away. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't take them like three games to get used to it. They kind of get used to it right away. You got to watch Visca and KD practice every day last year. Was this, was this something you saw coming? If I, if I told you they were going to get off to this hot of a start a year ago, what would your thoughts be? I mean, if you told me the exact numbers, I'd be like, no way, you know, just because, like, especially with this guy, I mean, no one expected that much. But I remember um, one after one of the games last year, me and one of the other walk-on receivers kind of, like, looked at each other and were like, like, dude, Visca might be the best receiver on this team. And we kind of were just like, I can't believe how much of, a, like, a freak he is. And then um, with, K, with KD, um, just, you know, seeing how quick he was and stuff and kind of um, – I think the biggest thing is they just aspire to be the – the best you know they're not they're never going to be satisfied so i knew that with kd that he wanted to um, be the best he wasn't going to settle for being second ever i was kind of wondering about that because a lot of us that covered the team last year sort of knew that maybe the best receivers weren't starting every game was that kind of the feeling amongst some of you guys as well because you mentioned it a little bit there um i mean all the guys that started last year, they were uh, great receivers and great guys as well. Um, they had performed in the past. You know, it's not like people that were starting over Visca and Juwan and some of these other guys were not well. I mean, not good players. I mean, um, all of them got a shot at the NFL and are still working there. So they were all good players. So I, w- I wouldn't say necessarily that the best players weren't playing. I would just say that, you know, there's there's a lot of talent and it's hard to, you know, work that out especially with i mean there's only so much you could see from a freshman with uh you know visca and kd i mean you if they're not starting you can't see their full potential but you definitely see that they were going to be uh, great in the future looking at steven montez what do you think's been the biggest key in him taking the next step in his performance and how what, what impact do you think kurt roper's had on all of that um i think he just understands the the process now um i mean steven's he's one of like the greater guys to uh, be around. I mean, he's always bringing a good attitude. Um, he always wants to, you know, be the best he's competitive and stuff. And I think he really just, uh, you know, took a step back and started to work on, um, you know, the mental part of the game, which, uh, quarterbacks really need. Um, and he definitely has taken a huge step up. I mean, he took a step up last year, but he took an even bigger step this year. And I think Kurt Roper, um, I didn't really know much about him when he got hired. Um, but I started to, you know, do some research and saw who he'd coach and stuff. And he, um, just from talking with people, just sounds like he knows pretty much everything there is to know about the game. So he's told, you know, told Steven, like, look, you know, I've seen, seen it all. If you listen to me, I'll help you be good. Um, so I wanted to ask you about Jawan Winfrey, because I'm sure you were probably pretty good friends with him um, when you were here. What are your thoughts on his injury and do you think he can still come back this year and make an impact yeah i can honestly say juan's probably the hardest worker um i've ever you know i've ever been around he never um brought a bad attitude um he'd always be doing 
routes on his own working out and stuff um all he i mean he lives and breathes he just lives and breathes football that's like what he wants to do and what he's good at and i think he could definitely come back i mean he's had injuries before i mean he had that that bad knee injury and then you saw what he did you know against usc and come the, some of the games last year when he came back and this is the injury it seems like he's suffering right now is you know something minor but they just want him to be healthy so i think he'll be back here um i don't know exactly when because i haven't talked to him but i'm guessing a few games and he'll be ready to go and i think he will have a chip on his shoulder so he'll be even better than he was at the start of the year I know CU's gotten off to a hot start here, but skeptics have said they haven't really played any great teams up to this point, aside from ASU, who's mediocre at best, seemingly so. But what are your predictions for this team the rest of the way? And do you, do you smell any upsets the next two weeks? Yeah, I think this is, uh, I mean, I think this is, I think every year there's about um, three to four, I mean, give or take a couple games that can go either way. I mean, last year we kind of had that too, you know, Arizona State, UCLA, Arizona, all those games. I mean, we could have easily been an eight-win team, but we couldn't win those. And I think this team, I feel good about this team winning the close games. Um, So if it comes down the wire against USC, I definitely think um, we can win. Um, They're a young team with talent, so, you know, get get that lead early. And then from there, you know, it's just, sky's the limit if we can uh, beat usc going into washington that would be that would be uh something you know bigger hype than we've probably had around here in a long long time as long as i can remember yeah you talk about the difference between last year's team and this year's team what do you think that difference is because you as you mentioned the uh, last year's team struggled a lot in close games but this year's team seems to have that brotherhood in the locker room do you think that's it or is there something else involved um, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think we've recruited better talent, um, so obviously that helps. And then I think just, you know, everyone enjoys each other, loves each other this year. I'm not saying that last year we didn't, but, you know, something, you know, just felt a little off. I mean, people, we had like kind of a mix of, you know, young talent last year and like good veterans, and maybe it just didn't mesh as well. And I think this year... um I think everyone just likes each other and there's just um, everyone brings positive energy. All those guys, you know, are active on social media and all that stuff. You know, KD, Viscaldi, all the young guys, um, they love what they do. And then, you know, the older guys like Rick and Jay and Nick Fisher and all those guys are um, are such good friends that um, it's kind of, you know, just works well together. Coach McIntyre talked about um, before the season how he did a few more team building activities during uh spring ball and even into the summer do you think that was kind of the difference or that this team just gels and the other team didn't yeah i think it's both i think that definitely helps um i mean we did some team building exercises and stuff like that um obviously we work out together every day um but it sounds like they did more you know not just football related outside and i think that helps because it kind of helps you understand people and it helps with like kind of that trust factor so i think everyone just trusts each other this year and wants to play um for the brother next to them i mean they don't want to let each other down kind of kind of what like what we saw in 2016 where you know that defense anytime it was tough you know they just all were such good friends they didn't want to you know let their brother down what is the biggest thing you took away during your time playing CU that's going to stick with you um, throughout your life? Um, I think just that you can do uh, anything in life. I mean, I uh, walked on there, so, like, I, d- I knew I was going to CU. Um, just wanted to go there for school because I was a fan, you know, I, since I can remember and stuff. So I think the biggest thing for me was, like, um, you know, you just – 
you can do anything in life if you put your mind to it. And then also just that um, because being a student athlete is not easy that, you know, in the workplace and um, for even all the future athletes that are there right now, I mean, eventually you're going to be working something besides football for, you know, 99% of people that um, that stuff just seems easy compared to what we did as a student athlete. Yeah. Last question, Kevin, and then I'll let you go your way, but can you, can you take us through that process of walking on and what that entails? It seems like you didn't really feel like this was something that was going to happen. And then you gave it a shot and it just kind of worked out and all the puzzle pieces fell into place. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So there's a few different ways. I mean, they recruit some guys out of uh, high school and don't have scholarships. They tell them like, Hey, you can walk on, maybe earn a scholarship, come invite them to camp. And then you also have, uh, they do a little tryout, you know, about twice a year where, um, that's what I ended up doing. Um, so that process is kind of like, you know, you find out and they bring a bunch of guys in, see if you're athletic, if you can and play and um from there they put you on the team and then um it kind of just varies sometimes they keep you sometimes they don't um so and then from there the coolest thing is though you're just you're just one of the guys i mean obviously um you got to work your way up but i mean there was there's nothing with being a walk-on i mean it's not easy because it's a lot harder to earn playing time i'd say but it's not um hard to fit in at all i mean everyone treats you the same was was that it was that intimidating in first you know being a fan and then being on the field with all the big boys was that kind of a little bit scary a little bit i mean i was like i wasn't i wouldn't say it was scary but it was just like i mean just how how big everyone is and then how um i'd say like how strong people are even when they don't look you know how strong and fast people are even when they don't look like that you know because there's wide receivers cornerbacks and stuff that are um you know lifting weights more than I mean, linemen do in high school and stuff so I think that was like kind of eye-opening for me um but yeah I wouldn't say it was like intimidating at all I think it was more just you know like understood how good college athletes actually are I got one for you who was the best player that you had to be on scout team like the best opponent player that you had to be on scout team opponent uh yeah, the way they do it usually is they give you, you know, they give you the numbers from the team before. I'm trying to think who I, the hardest player I would have been. Um, I guess there's a few times where I, I can't think of the exact player where there's a few times where, you know, it was some that moves kind of, you know, in the backfield and gets um, jet sweeps and uh, kind of does that. And that's that's kind of what LaVisca thing. and KD are doing now. <laughs> yeah, so that that is definitely, even from scouting, I learned is like a lot. So people... You know, it makes me think of like how much they're doing now is like, you know, it's not it's not easy to learn all that and be good at all that because you don't just the normal receiver focuses more on, you know, route running and catching and that stuff. Whereas if you're doing that stuff, you got to be able to know how to read blocks and um, know how to, you know, just time your motion and all that stuff so that was that's definitely the hardest thing i think i did on scout team kevin i know i said we were going to ask one more question and let you go but i just have to ask you this one what's it like seeing philip Lindsay, a hometown guy doing as well as he is for the broncos oh it's awesome i mean i've been a broncos fan forever but now like I literally just look for if he's in at running back and I get kind of mad if, no, if he's not in, to be honest, because like I think he should be in a lot. So it's it's I mean, it's awesome. I I've told my friends ever since the Broncos picked him up that he was going to not only make the roster, but make an impact. And, you know, people that didn't watch to you when when you're like, oh, no, this guy just 
I mean, he didn't get drafted, so. Hmm. Um, but it's been awesome. I mean, I know Phil decently well. I mean, I got to know him. Um, I haven't talked to him recently, but um, yeah, no, it's it's awesome, and I think he's just gonna you know get better. He doesn't. He wants more, and he will not settle for less. So, it's do you been have a awesome. number thirty jersey in in your closet? A Bronco Lindsey <laughs> jersey? I don't. I haven't bought a jersey in a long time. But um, I mean, I've thought about it. I mean, I've talked with people. I've thought about it. I mean, I think he is uh, here to stay for a while for the Broncos, so maybe in the future. Yeah, for sure. Kevin, listen, thank you so much for taking time out of your uh, your day to join us, and best of luck going forward. Hey, no worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, Appreciate Appreciate it. it. For sure. Have a good day. That was Kevin DeMent, the forever buff joining us here on the Hal Stern show. It was great. It was great getting to talk to the to the guy, hearing his story as a CU fan walking on, all the stuff he had to do day in and day out, which a lot of us don't know about, especially people who don't follow the football program as in-depthly and don't know about the starters, and also to hear about how awesome it is to see Philip Lindsay. It, it was really great having him on. Yeah, and as guys that even covered the team, we don't get to talk to the walk-ons very often, so that, that's just not something we get to talk about. Yeah, a breath, a breath of knowledge he was indeed. But now looking <laughs> ahead to USC and also talking a little bit about Juwan Winfrey. Earlier this week, Coach McIntyre said that Winfrey's ankle was struggling. He heard it on a late hit out of bounds against Nebraska. It wasn't flagged, but it looked to be late. It was a little bit after the play. And after a few weeks of getting better, he kind of stagnated a little bit and didn't make as much progress. They gave him a PRP injection this week, which for those of you non-medical folks out there who don't know what it is, it helps to kind of stimulate the area and to speed up the recovery for professional and collegiate athletes will be a game time decision on Saturday against USC. But it does bring up the possibility in my mind, if he's not able to play against USC, could he potentially take a medical redshirt year and come back next season fully healthy? Because I know he's a senior. And at this point, you want to put your best game on tape. Right. And that might be almost what he would rather do because he hasn't gotten to have a full season on tape. He's struggled with injuries throughout his career even when he was first at Maryland, his only full season was his one junior college season. So I do think that him himself, I know that his goal is obviously the NFL. That's what pretty much everybody's and I th- goal I think is. It's a, I think it's attainable, too, when you look at his uh, body prototype and the production he's had in the past. It's been there, but I just think it needs to be there on a little and, bit more of a consistent work ethic, basis. And yeah. his route running ability and all that, that type of stuff. I think a lot of people before the season would have said that He's a guy that we would expect to be in a training camp come uh, next fall. So I, I'm not sure about the whole medical redshirt because I still think that he can come back and really contribute to this team. You just never know about those ankle sprains. That, that's what he has is a high ankle sprain. And it, it's just so tough because those things can linger for so long. They can go away. You can feel fine after a PRP injection or they can be around it. I, I'm not fully aware of Jawan's situation. I don't think he's going to be able to play this weekend from what I've heard. One of the other problems um, about this is McIntyre's pretty strict about if you don't practice, you can't play on Saturday. Yeah. He doesn't let a lot of guys not practice throughout the week and then be ready to go come game day. So Jawan's kind of had to force his hand a little bit and been, practic- or been trying to practice during the week so that he could be good to go on the weekend. And that's what's kind of 
bothered his ankle a little bit. So I don't think he's fully healthy yet. I still think they could utilize him if he is able to get fully healthy because he is the only impactful senior wide receiver that we'll leave after this year. You, you got KB on Ento who hasn't played that much, Jay McIntyre a little bit, but these guys are guys that aren't going to be a huge void next season. So it's not like they need him for next year, whereas in some situations they would need him for next year. I, I'm not sure if you medically redshirt him or not. That's an excellent point. There's the, the, the dilemma. Do you force your way back into the lineup and try to play through that injury? You might not be 100%. And you also might not be able to put your best game tape up on display as a senior. Or do you try to take it slow and say, listen, I'm going to do this thing the right way. I want to save my best for less, so that's what scouts see. Do, what, what, what do you do there? It's just, it's, to me, it's a difficult dilemma. I would err on the side of trying to play through it simply because I think he's a very talented player playing next to a guy like LaVisca. And even KD now, I think that's going to help open up the field for him and have some one-on-one matchups, which he can succeed in. And he's a great blocker as well. I think the bus can use him in a lot of different ways. He can help the team. And he can potentially, you know, put up close to what his best tape is. And listen, some scouts may say you weren't 100% healthy. Let's give you a chance in training camp and see what you can do. It's not all just about the numbers and your entire production. If you don't believe me, look at what happened to Isaiah last year. Right, and I kind of think that that might be the most important point. Because if we get to the end of the season, he's only played in four games, let's, let's just say. So he does have the ability to medically redshirt and come back which you still have to put a waiver through the NCA, so that isn't even a sure thing. But there is a possibility that some scouts have seen enough of him already and say, hey, you're still probably going to get a shot in the NFL if you, if you get out right now. Someone will sign you as an undrafted free agent, and you will still be able to get to a training camp and try to prove yourself. I think that's also a possibility. So. I think it's just way too early to tell right now. Yeah, I agree. I think Winfrey is a very talented player, and it's only a matter of time until we see that impact on the field. But let's look ahead to the game against USC. Later on, we'll get into the Broncos and the end of the Rockies season, unfortunately. But the Buffs head into Southern Cal as seven-point underdogs, which is amazing considering how young that team is and the fact that they've lost two games. I know they were against ranked teams, but at the same time, I think that's a no-respect move for the number-ranked team, 19-ranked buffs. Right, and Vegas hasn't been very kind to the buffs all year. They're, I think they're currently 4-1 and one against the spread. I do think they, they had one loss to the spread. But, um, yeah, Vegas just doesn't love the buffs. They haven't been in their – the Vegas have their own top 25 rankings that they come out with every week. CU hasn't appeared in them yet. And so usually – that's a spot where you can make some money on it. So I think there's some bus fans that aren't complaining about that, but I do think it's disrespectful. I think there's kind of a prove it aspect to it. Uh, all week it's been discussed that the buffs have never beat USC in their, in program history. And since joining the PAC 12 specifically. So I think it's kind of, a see it to believe it dilemma with this team in a sense. But let's now talk about the biggest keys to the Buffs winning this game. I think they need to establish a running game and the ability to run it down USC's defense's, uh, defense's throat because they have a pretty good defensive line. I think Steven Montez needs to get the ball in LaVisca's ha- uh, hands early. I know that might be obvious, but it is true because USC has a good safety and a couple good corners, and they're definitely going to try to double-team him, take him out of the game. 
a little bit. And I think that CU needs to get off to an early lead and try to take that Coliseum crowd out of the game because once they get into it, I don't think it's any secret that that's a really hard place to play. Right, and they haven't had many fans so far this season at home. I think their last game, I read that they had about 55,000 in a place that holds 90,000, which isn't great, but um, this weekend is supposed to be family weekend, which we saw what happened at CU this past weekend for family weekend. People start to show up a little bit, and I do think it'll reach like 75, 80K. I don't think it'll be full capacity, but it, it will be loud in there, and I think it'll come down to turnovers. Yeah. We haven't seen CU turn the ball over much at all. But we also haven't seen them get that many right. turnovers. And yeah. Right. The other way around. They're going up against a true freshman quarterback. If they can force some turnovers on USC, that's the way to beat them. But it's the same way the other way around. If USC can force some turnovers and to CU, this offense hasn't faced much adversity. So how do they respond to that adversity? What happens if they are able to shut down Visca, force some turnovers on Montez? Then you're looking at some problems. And shifting over to the defensive side of the ball, they're going to have their hands full. USC has some really good receivers in Amon Ross St. Brown, Michael Pittman, Pittman, Tyler Vons. It's going to be a test for them considering how much their corners have looked inconsistent here in the early going. Yeah, three receivers that have a lot of length and a lot of speed. All three of them are NFL guys. I, I think I, you could say that right now. Michael Pittman will probably be drafted in first three or four rounds as long as he keeps this up. Amonra has a little, little ways to go before he's able to get drafted, but he will also be drafted in the NFL. So these are really, really good receivers that they're going to have to slow down. USC has also gotten the run game going the last couple of weeks. Aka Cedric Ware is the one that's carrying them right now. He had I, And Stephen Carr has looked good. It's kind of like a two-headed monster there with those right, two. Right, and both of those guys have been around the program for a long time. So they have a true freshman quarterback, but they have a lot of experienced guys around them and a lot of talent there, and it'll be difficult to slow down. It's definitely the biggest test for this defense so far. Toughest part of the segment, Chase, and the one that I'm not really looking forward to doing, predictions. I'm going to take the Trojans. Sorry to all the Buffs fans out there listening. 33-30 in a close game. CU's going to lose their first game of the season. I think that the home field advantage is going to help. I think that the defense's youth and their inconsistencies and trouble covering tall receivers as we saw last week weekend when and kill Harry is going to hurt and their inability to come out of the gate and stop the run in the first half. Those are going to be the three deciding factors and I'm taking the Trojans in a high scoring affair. I like your prediction. I think you're, you're very close on the number. I've been going back and forth all week and I haven't been fully decided one way or the other. There's there's a couple factors here. CU obviously hasn't beaten USC in the history of the programs. And the other factor is Clay Helton hasn't lost at home as a head has the head football coach at USC. And he's uh, but I'm not trying to interrupt. I think he's evolved into one of the better coaches in college mm-hmm. football. And there's just there's a part of me that just thinks it's time. Like this is the year CU finally gets it done against USC, the way that both teams are going. But I know that USC has some more talent, probably on both sides of the ball. CU might be the more complete team. USC is the more talented team. That's why I've been going back and forth all week. But I do think the Buffs will be able to pull it out because they are are the better team. 
This is a team sport, Jack. You're right. 34-31. I like it. with the bus. I, li- I like you putting your money where your mouth is. And you have an excellent point about CU being the better team. And listen, the fact that they're, they have a nice combination of experienced players and leadership, I think that's going to help them persevere if it's, a, if it's a tight game, as we saw last week. And I think that can help them too. And I think you keyed, on, keyed in on it a little bit, but the matchup I'm watching is the CU corners versus the USC wide receivers. Dante Wigley actually looked really good. I went back and rewatched that game. He looked really good covering Michael Pittman. Yeah. He didn't make many mistakes at all. And he was on Pittman for almost the entirety of the game, as well as Tyler Bonds. And so a part of me would feel like the Buffs' chances are a little bit worse if they go with Wigley. But after rewatching that game, I think Wigley can cover them. I think they got Chris Miller healthy, looking really good. He looked really good in the fourth quarter against uh, ASU this past weekend. And obviously, Deller Abrams has been playing well all season. So they got some corners to shut him down. And if they can shut down that passing game, make USC one-dimensional, I think they will beat him. The one, well, in that game, Pittman beat Isaiah Oliver a couple times. Mm-hmm. But when Wigley was on him, yeah, I did go back and rewatch it as well. He did a good job. The one thing that worries me about Dante, though, is he's a little bit inconsistent. He struggled at times last week against Enkeel Harry, but others, he looked like a lockdown corner. I think it's safe to say that Delrick Abrams is probably the best corner on this team, but you need more than just that to, mm-hmm. to beat this team. And I think Chris Miller is kind of the guy that's uh, emerging as the number two corner, especially in the fourth quarter of the game against ASU. On Saturday, they, they had seven, seven passing yards in the fourth quarter. In in a fourth quarter that ASU had to throw the ball, they couldn't throw it, even though they were throwing it practically all over the field in the first three quarters. Part of that is because Nikhil Harry was hurt, but he he did play a few snaps in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes Saturday. This is going to be a big test for the Buffs, and if they win this game, I think they'll truly get the respect they deserve. Everyone should tune in. 8.30 primetime on Saturday night on FS1. But moving on to the worst football team in the Denver area, the Denver Broncos. Embarrassing. Wait, is uh, Fort Collins part of the Denver area? I, I think I think it's a, that's a little too far out. They <laughs> okay. would definitely okay, be the worst I'll team. Agree with you. And after the Buffs blew them out, I think we should give them a little bit of a break on okay. on this. Yeah. But the Broncos had an embarrassing 34 to 16 loss to the lowly. <clears throat> Lowly New York Jets, 323 yards on the ground, including 219 yards coming from Isaiah Cruel, who showed off this level of explosiveness that we haven't seen in years. The Jets finished the day with 521 yards total offense. This team looks looked dead in that, in that game. Their defense couldn't stop anyone, whether it be in the secondary or in the run game. They were prone to giving up the big play. On offense, they, 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 they put some points up, but it seemed like they just couldn't get in a rhythm. You know what I mean? They didn't really have an identity. Um, they were moving the ball a little bit, but then drives would stall. This, this team, it's, it's, they, they, they're just struggling right now. Yeah, they, they look like they didn't want to be there on Sunday. That, that's the best way to put it. I think some people tweeted that out on, on Sunday as well. The offense looked stagnant, as you mentioned, but it was the defense that just looked pitiful. Way too many big plays. Uh, Robbie Anderson was running all over. 123 <laughs> yards and two touchdowns against Bradley Roby. And, and he hasn't done anything all season. No. I, I had him in fantasy. I actually dropped him last week, of course, and then he went off this weekend. 
so that's just how it works. I apologize to Broncos fans for that because I basically woke up Robbie Anderson. But anyway, they looked asleep. I think part of it is playing that Monday night game, emotional Monday night game, where they gave up a lead and then trying to turn around and play the Sunday morning game yeah. was tough on them. On the other side of the country, no less. Yeah, on the other side of the country. It's, it's a good excuse. It isn't a great excuse for how bad that team looked. And let's just, let me just mention this. Coming into the season, Anderson was seen as the Jets' best wide receiver. Didn't really get in a rhythm with Sam Darnold, aside from a few plays. So I feel like in that side of things, it was only a matter of time. Now the Denver defense didn't have to let and unleash the beast and let him go wild like he did. But one of the things that worries me is quarterback Case Keenum. He threw another badly timed interception on the last play of the game. Didn't really mean much, but badly timed nonetheless. And he's just, he's just struggled with overthrows, underthrows, not going through his progressions well. And listen, he has a lot of talented wideouts and uh, tools on that side of the ball too. He has Sutton, Demarius Thomas, who I know is in the later stage of his career, but is still good. Emmanuel Sanders, Deshaun Hamilton. He has some pieces, but he can't get the ball in their hands. Is it time for them to see what they have in Chad Kelly, or is that throwing in the white flag? I think that's kind of throwing in the white flag. Chad Kelly would be a lot of fun. I would enjoy watching him because he's electric out there. But I think if you want to win football games, you have to go with Case Keenum because he's proven that he's able to win football games. He hasn't looked great. I don't know if you can blame it all on the offensive line, but they didn't look good at all on Sunday. They've definitely had some better games this season, especially uh, run blocking. They didn't look good run blocking at all. Gave up just too much pressure on Case Keenum as well. And Case just doesn't look comfortable with this team yet. No, he, he definitely doesn't. But let me ask you this. If Keenum struggles, I, I know they're in win-now mode, and they feel that Keenum gives them the best chance to do that. But if he struggles through the next few games, and you're a guy on defense, you're Von Miller, you're Bradley Chubb, and you're like, we, we need the guy who's going to give us the best chance to win. Do you think you go with Chad Kelly and see if he can maybe do better and give this offense a little bit of firepower? I mean, just this last week, we saw rookie quarterbacks go 4-0 with Josh Rosen getting his first win, Baker Mayfield looking good. So I think it's no secret that young quarterbacks can succeed in this game. And for Kelly, who's essentially a rookie after playing that, uh, not playing last year, could he potentially give them that spark? Yeah, I could see it, especially if this team only has two wins at that point. Um, then it's definitely a possibility because Vance Joseph will be coaching for his job. I know his job is to coach, but he will yeah. be literally coaching to keep a job. To keep it, yes. And if you want to extend your your life as a head coach, a good way to do it is get a rookie quarterback or a young quarterback in there in Chad Kelly's case and say, well, we have a young quarterback. What do you want me to do? Like, And usually you get an extra year or so out of that. So it would be smart from a Vance Joseph standpoint I don't know if it will be best for this offense. The one bright spot on this team, I know neither you or I, Chase, is surprised about that. This, um, the rest of the country probably is, but Philip Lindsay, who played here at CU, went undrafted, has run for 328 yards thus far in the season, which is the most rushing yards of any rookie running back, including Saquon Barkley, who is this highly touted prospect coming out. Lindsey is averaging 5.8 yards a carry, over 65 yards a game. He's been great for this team. 
he has been fantastic, and I mean, we kind of expected that. And I think the, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but the two-headed monster of Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay is a very capable one-two punch of some running backs. I just don't think they've been utilized properly. They went away from the run game uh, against the Chiefs when they were doing well, and then this weekend it, they just couldn't get anything going in the run game. And if they keep on giving those guys carries and utilizing them properly, which they have when they do get carries, they just haven't had that many carries, I think we could see this team become a very good running team with Royce and Phillip because they just complement each other so well. What's impressed me the most about Phillip is his ability to do everything. Coming out of college, he was going to be this Alvin Kamara or Tarek Cohen type guy who was going to be utilized in a lot of weird formations. He was going to get some throws out of the backfield. He was going to run mainly east and west. He's done an excellent job running in between the tackles, which isn't something he even did a lot here at CU. Right, and that was kind of what everybody was talking about before the draft is that's how teams were looking at Phil. So I was kind of all for that. I was like, all right, that's going to be how Phil will be able to get some playing time. But now at this point, we did see him run a, run between tackles pretty well at CU. He didn't have the greatest. Not offense. as much, though, as he is yeah, in the NFL. And he's, he's definitely improved his ability to make those quick jump cuts near the line of scrimmage when he has to. And he's gotten a lot better at running between the tackles. But we knew that he was, he was pretty good at that. They ran him a ton. They, did, they ran him pretty much everything when he was at CU. He did everything. So we kind of expected that if he was able to work his way up to the depth chart. But, yeah, I've been really impressed with the way that the Broncos have utilized him and really how much better he's gotten since he was at CU. Now this team plays the undefeated L.A. Rams next and which which, something that could turn into a deflating loss if the defense plays anything like they did last Sunday against the Jets. What is the possibility they win this game? Five, ten percent. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, they. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. The Rams, are obviously, an absolute wagon. It's the best way to put it. They look pretty much unbeatable right now. Uh, their cornerbacks look a little bit beat up. Marcus Peters didn't look to be himself. Obviously, Keep Talib hasn't played much. So if you can get the passing game going, then I think you could beat that team. I just don't think the Broncos have the passing game. It is interesting that uh, both the Broncos and the Buffs are playing an L.A. team this week. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I honestly didn't even think of that. But to your point, the fact that Peters is not healthy, he seemingly struggled on that ankle. They're coming off a game in which they almost lost to the Seattle Seahawks. If the Broncos can get the passing game going, get the run game going, because that team has struggled a little bit on defense. They're good up front, but they haven't been able to stop the run. And... You can get the you, the defense can go out and get a couple stops. I know that might seem like a tall order right now, but listen, they pressured Patrick Mahomes when they faced him, and they've shown flashes of good things. So, if they can get a little bit of consistency, they could have a chance in this ball game. Yeah, I think so. They just have to get something going on offense, and if they're able to put up points and match the LA Rams, it will obviously have to be a shootout. That's the only way you can beat the Rams. You're not going to beat them seven to three or anything like that so they will have to get some points on the board which is something that we haven't really seen from them so far this year but I do think the offense is capable of it if Case Keenum can get his receivers going yeah this will this will be a good 
football weekend in the Denver area with the Broncos playing. But the one team here that is no longer playing, the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, I know. Chase and I last week said we hoped that we'd be still talking about them, but unfortunately they only scored two runs in the NLDS, got outscored 13-2 to by the Milwaukee Brewers. Seemingly both couldn't get the hit, big hit at all when they had men on base and couldn't really hit, period. Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, DJ LeMahieu, the big guns, struggled mightily. It, 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 just, it was just a sad ending to a promising season for this team. Yeah, you aren't going to beat many teams if you can't hit the baseball. I mean, it, it was just tough to watch for pretty much that entire series because every time the Rockies were on offense, usually that's your time for hope. And there was no hope. No. I, I think part of it, though, is just in the sheer fact that in the postseason, you face off against better pitching than you do in the regular season, especially when you're facing a Milwaukee Brewers team that is very selective with that, um, with who they th- run out there to the hill, and they throw the bullpen a lot of innings, and they have such a talented bullpen. I, I have to imagine it's just a little bit harder to get in a good rhythm. Yeah. The bullpen definitely caused problems in game one in the bullpen game and then when they were able to come in relief. But Jolice Chassin and Wade Miley aren't, aren't intimidating guys. They're, no. they're guys that you should be able to hit a few baseballs off of, and they just couldn't do that. And I wasn't as surprised that they weren't able to do it in Milwaukee, but they weren't able to do it at Coors Field either. Yeah, they got, a bar- they got embarrassed so, in the one home game. If you can't do it on the road and you can't do it at home, you just aren't going to beat many teams. I, I don't think the pitching that they went up against was the best that they would have seen all playoffs. I do think the, their bullpen, is the Brewers' bullpen, is probably the best bullpen in baseball right now. But when they were dealing with their starting pitchers, they should know how to hit off of Jolice Justin. A lot of those guys played with him when he was on the Rockies. Yeah, well, the Rockies' starting pitching was pretty good. For the most part, especially when considering that you had Tyler Anderson and Antonio Sensatella going in games two and one, respectively. Those are guys who were inconsistent all season and showed up for the postseason. And Herman Marquez, who had one of the best Septembers in the entire major leagues, was great as well. So I think that's the one silver lining in this situation. Yeah, and these guys are going to be around for a pretty long time. Marquez, Freeland, uh Senzatella will be around for a while. Even Tyler Anderson will be around for at least next year. So that is probably the, the one bright spot of it. But Jeff Breidich has to make a lot of moves to get this team ready for next year. Speaking of Breidich, I think the future could be bright for this team when you look at the fact that they tied the L.A. Dodgers for the division. And that came down to a couple blown games by the bullpen at the beginning of the season and a couple of rough stretches at the plate at the end. I think this team is not far away from winning the division going forward. My question is, what moves do you, do you think they have to make? I think they need to get a better hitting catcher. One, because that helps beef, beef, up the, beef up the lineup. A guy like JT, JT Realmuto. And they need to get another right-handed reliever in the bullpen to fill the void that they thought Brian Shaw was going to be in. Yeah, I think any type of reliever in the bullpen, left-handed or right-handed, they didn't have a left-hander that they could rely on. Jake McGee was unreliable. And obviously Chris Russin was unreliable too. He, he did come in and pitch pretty well in the playoffs, but he was unreliable pretty much the entirety of the season. So they definitely need relief pitchers. Adam Onovino is going to be a free agent. I don't know what you do with that. You're going to have to either pay him big money 
or let them walk. Yeah. And if you let them walk, that there goes your one reliever that you were able to rely on for the entirety of this season. So they have to figure out what they want to do with relief pitching. And then you go to second base where DJ LeMayu might be gone. Seems like he's going to be well, gone. Most with likely the be gone. Yeah. Are you ready for Brendan Rodgers? Is Brendan Rodgers ready to emerge at the major league level? He looked really good at double A and high A, but once he got to triple A Albuquerque, he didn't look so good. So are you able to trust him at second base, or do you go with a guy like Garrett Hampson who doesn't have that type of ceiling, but at least you can rely on him? I also think they sh- they're going to need to figure out who they want to start in outfield, and the options are there are so many options in the outfield. Parr is probably gone. Carlos Gonzalez Close. is probably gone. I don't know if they bring back Matt Holliday. I don't think it's a horrible idea just because they don't have many righty bats in the outfield. Maybe as like a fourth outfielder off yeah, the bench. Yeah, obviously as a bench guy. Not like, not as a starter, but as a righty bat off the bench, I don't think it's a horrible idea. And then what do you want to do with Charlie Blackman? Because he, he definitely looked unreliable at center field at times. Do you move him to a corner and try to find find a center fielder do you start David Dahl who has who played some great, center field yeah. I, I don't know if you can rely on David Dahl as a center fielder I definitely think he's a starter next year and you also got Ryan Tapia who can play center field but can you rely on him as an everyday MLB or they're gonna ha- they have a lot of different things that they're gonna have to figure out in the offseason and I think it'll be one of the most interesting offseasons in Rockies history and one of the most telltaling ones as to the fu- as that speaks to the future of this franchise and how they're going to be, because it seems like they have a window with this core group of guys between Blackman, Arenado, who's up through free agency after the 2019 season, and a couple talented young starters too, in Kyle Freeland and her mom Marquez. It's about keeping this core together and trying to win with this group of guys, because I think it's I think it's possible. Right, you have you have the stars to do it and the starting pitching to do it. Can you build around them enough to go far in the playoffs? And Breitich hasn't been proven to do that yet. Is he able to do it this offseason will be a big question. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happened, but obviously nothing is going to take place until after the World Series. Talking a little bit of high school sports before we leave you today, Fairview advanced to 6-1 and one over the last weekend, winning 55-28 over Horizon High School. Aiden Atkinson put up another big day. What recruiting news do you have for me on the football front? Ooh, well, Aiden Atkinson was at the CU game. He was at the ASU game, so that is very interesting because they had another 2020 quarterback there as well, Will Plummer from Arizona. He, he picked up his first offer from the Buffs while visiting here in Boulder, his first offer, period, his first Division One offer. So that'll be interesting if he's, if he's going to be their guy for 2020 it's going to be a next tip for 2020 or if they go a different way. That's probably the most interesting recruiting storyline that I'm following. Um, everything else, we'll just see how the chips fall. There's not many interesting recruiting news besides that. Yeah, that makes sense. But I'm sure things will start to heat up in the next few weeks as guys from the 2020 class start to commit. Anyway, this has been the Howell Stern Wednesday evening sports show. Hopefully the Buffs can pull out a big win in Southern Cal. It was great having Kevin DeMent on, and we'll talk to you next week.